What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode number 36. My name is James Scully. Today on Breaking Walls, my guest is Samantha Katz, who is a curator, a creative director, and she's now the founder of the newly launched Created Here. That's createdhere.co. Samantha and I went to college together. We had a lot of courses. We got to know each other well over 10 years ago, and it was great to sit down and reconnect with her as we are like-minded, and as we'll get into in this conversation, Sam has had a lot of things happen in her life that she's taken ownership of that have led to serendipitous outcomes. So that is our topic for this month on The Wall Breakers, serendipity. If this is the first time that you're coming to The Wall Breakers for any reason, you can find these podcasts by going to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers, iTunes, search for The Wall Breakers, rate, review, subscribe, please tell a friend, tell two friends, word of mouth spreads these podcasts around. You can also find our podcast along with articles and other information on thewallbreakers.com. Each month, we introduce a new topic that all of our discussions within that month ladder up towards. Serendipity comes from St. Patrick's Day being in the month of March, and the way that we break that down is, well, you say that the tenets behind St. Patrick's Day is luck, luck of the Irish, etc. Well, what is luck really? It's serendipity. So how can we achieve serendipity in our lives? Well, if you look back to the month of February and the topic was vulnerability, the more we are willing to be vulnerable and put ourselves out there, the more different kinds of fortuitous serendipity we can be open to allowing into our lives. And Samantha and I get into a conversation where she shares her experiences in life that have revolved around such topics. Before I get into the body of the interview, I do want to say quickly that Samantha has launched a creative community herself called Created Here. You can find it by going to createdhere.co, instagram.com slash createdhere. And at the end of the podcast, Samantha also gives you her personal email that you can reach out to her if you've got any kind of questions, comments, or concerns about Created Here. So I'm not going to take up any more of your valuable time. This interview is fantastic, and I want to get right to it. Please stay tuned for episode number 36, Tips on Achieving Serendipity with Samantha Katz, right after this brief pause. Hey guys, back on the podcast, and my guest today is Samantha Katz. And Samantha is the creator and founder of Created Here, and she's also a creative director by day and somebody who has a lot of experience bringing people together. So welcome to the podcast, Samantha. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to say also congratulations about moving to San Francisco as you you are about to do that. Yes, it'll be a a welcomed change. I've been in New York for uh, 12 years full time uh, and then, you know, coming in and visiting pretty much my entire life. So looking forward to uh, some sunshine. Yeah, really. I feel like people our age, we want to mobilize our life as much as possible. Like that's something that we want to do. We all feel like there's a big world out there and our parents worked and worked and worked. I personally, I don't want to speak for you, but there have been many points in my life where I've worked hard and then I thought to myself, but why am I doing this? Like I don't see an end game to just working here. I better change up the script. I work all the time. I, I enjoy working, and I think that's something that was sort of like in, instilled in me by my parents and our parents' generation who do work really hard, and so that's definitely been like a, a driving force in my life, but not a day goes by where I don't think, man, 
maybe I should just screw it all by a boat and travel the world. I do think that our generation and uh, especially our peers uh, have a very like mobile sensibility. And I think that's part of uh, the reason I will be moving to the West Coast is, uh, you know, the, the five-year plan is kind of be bi-coastal, uh, obviously with Created Here, be able to uh, jump back and forth, New York and San Francisco, and ideally some other locations as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. And with so many things going on on both coasts. That's one of the benefits too. Um, having been here for so long and being involved in so many uh, different uh, verticals and projects, I've built a really strong network here and going out to San Francisco specifically working in Silicon Valley is really going to uh, help me expand my network out there in the technology world and the startup wor worlds and obviously, you know, through venture capitalism. So I'm excited to uh, check it out and, yeah. and, you know, report back. When you take the chances and do things like that, even if you were in a year, you said to yourself, actually, I really don't like San Francisco all that much. But once you were able to make those moves for yourself, then it's like, well, actually, I like Cairo. And then who you would just you figure out a way to get there. You know what I mean? Like the, the unknown wouldn't be so scary. Exactly. Exactly. It's about taking that first step. I know you as somebody who's not very afraid of the unknown anyway. Even, I mean, for those who don't know, we were in, well, we were in classes together all college, but specifically yeah. freshman year. And I remember you as somebody, as an 18-year-old, being confident, having a lot of charisma. And I, I was recently, uh, this just dawns on me right now, I was recently reading an article about why Gen Y people are so unhappy. And it was, oh, our parents instilled this gift in us that, that we could be anything we wanted, and then it turns out that we can't. Right. But I find that maybe that's true, but I, I think that the way that our parents and our parents' parents went about life, like you're basically what we're getting at right now, it's not possible anymore. So we have to like see the undercurrent and be ahead of the, the, exactly. the turning tide and things like that. Exactly. You know, um, there is no certainties in life, but you know, our, our parents certainly had the benefit of knowing that they could follow the American dream. And if they worked hard, they would be able to succeed in those goals. And unfortunately, uh, because we are lucky having been raised in those sort of environments, uh, we have a, a sense of a, potentially a false sense of uh, being able to achieve those same goals and, and have those same kind of life milestones. But really, yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a different world now. And there's really no sort of guarantee that no matter how hard we work or whatever we do, we'll be able to achieve that same sort of success. So, I mean, personally, while we may have set up an idea or a dream of what we wanted to be when we were younger or when we were kids. I think it's kind of really all about like rolling with the punches, discovering what your passions are as you go, and no matter what, staying humble and working hard. You know, I think that's really kind of at the end of the day, and you're certainly somebody who, who uh, I think has a similar mindset that, yeah, again, while, while a particular dream we may have had uh, as children may no longer be the case or may not be achievable, sure, I'm not going to be president, you know, I'm not going to be an astronaut, <laughs> but I've learned to love the things that I, I do, mm -hmm. uh, and I approach everything with really hard work, so. When you have moments in your life where either you feel insecure or, I don't know, you're just looking too far down the road or you're looking, you're not present, how do you tell yourself, Sam, get back in line, like, be present, be in the moment. Oh, that's such a challenge. Absolutely. I'm very much a forward thinker. But in in being so kind of like level-headed and um, driven, it's actually very easy for me to live in the moment when I'm in that moment. So, you know, I work super hard and I think I definitely put my personal life and my friendships um, and, and maybe some like pastimes or hobbies on the back burner, you know, mm -hmm. which, which certainly stinks. But um, 
Yeah, but you can't be everywhere all at once. Exactly. You know, I always say, oh, I wish there were six of me. And luckily, I've learned to really love what I do. And I've made a life that not only do I enjoy my full-time job, but obviously through these passion projects, that's what I love to do. And so I'm really able to stay present by exercising, you know, a, a sense of um, drive within those, you know, designated projects. But yeah, you know, if, if there was an endless amount of time and money, certainly. Right. Being able to hang out and grab a beer or go to the movies or see more concerts, whatever, uh, and living in the present that way would, would be wonderful. But I do think by really like making what you love your day job or your passion project, it is easier to, to kind of be there. That trust that you have in yourself. You have to trust yourself. If you're going to be forward thinking like that and you want to be on, have an entrepreneurial spirit, the only way to do that is to say, okay, I can look down that road there because I know who I am right now. Yeah, absolutely. Did your parents instill that in you? I, th <laughs> I think that, well, for, for a lot of the people listening, you know, obviously who are unfamiliar with me or, or um, the sort of environment that I grew up in, my mother was a, a Supreme Court justice in uh, Connecticut, the state that we grew up in, and my father works for the White House and prior to that uh, and currently has a research lab affiliated with Yale University. Um, and my brother's a doctor. He's out in Seattle. So obviously I grew up in a very um, academic, very uh, driven household. And I would say that they never really, you know, obviously they were present and they worked hard at ensuring we focused on all, on our schoolwork and really like brought us up in a very culturally rich kind of household. We traveled a lot. We experienced lots of things. But I think that the drive that I have didn't necessarily come from them, I think it came from my own sense of like wanting to either fit in with the family or mm. wanting to impress them. Obviously, because I'm less academically focused and more uh, into the arts or I think they realized early on I was never going to be like a lawyer or a state senator. I was going to be a creative director or mm. a curator or an sure. artist. Um, and they're very encouraging. You know, luckily, because we've had all these like like I said, culturally rich experiences. Um, you know, they took me to museums all over the world. They always brought me into the city and we were always going to the MoMA or the Guggenheim or the Met. And so I, I think that while encouraging of whatever I wanted to do, they didn't really know how that was going to manifest. So, you know, I don't think they were necessarily pushing me in any sort of direction uh, at, at any point. It really was up to me to sort of say, okay, my parents have set the bar super high. You know, my brother's really, really great uh, at, at everything that he does. How can I achieve that same sense of, uh, you know, accomplishment, being able to give back in, in any kind of, like, shred of the way that they have? And actually, senior year at Pratt, I think I sort of realized, okay, how can I really, like, build a career and, mm -hmm. and build a sort of a side hustle that will allow me to accomplish those goals. Um, and so, yeah, that sort of fire under my ass is completely self-motivated. Right. That self-motivation that you have, I feel like I can answer this for myself, but for you, does it stop? Do you ever, do you ever stop? Does your, no. did the ideas ever stop or the brain? Uh, no. Um, and I, I think that that's both a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a, uh, I think that people who meet me who don't know me, find me very intense or like me you know too. really really passionate yeah I think a lot of people with creative kind of minds are polarizing to lots of people to me that's never been a problem and I think that's one of the things I've learned um, as I've gotten older is who gives a shit like really like who gives a shit because at the end of the day 
nobody's going to bed with you but you. I mean, Ex- uh, uh, yeah, sure. but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. In your brain, it's got to be you. Exactly. Um, and I am like, go, go, go 24-7. You know, I know there's uh, studies that show, you know, double tasking is inefficient, but I think I've mastered it. <laughs> and like, no matter what I'm doing, I'm working on something or the other, or like planning ahead. That's how my brain operates because that's really like what gives gives me sure. a sense of pleasure and a sense of passion and motivation. That charisma that you have, do you think it can be taught to people who everybody has a personality, right? Yeah. And, and I would like to think that if you removed insecurity from the world, everybody would have a great personality that oh, you'd yeah. love to be around. You seemingly, for as long as I know, you have very natural charisma. It is polarizing. I I sometimes make as many enemies as I do yeah, friends, and absolutely. I'm just being myself. Right. Now, we can learn to kind of tone that down when appropriate. For those who are, need to turn it up, do you think that that's something that can be taught? Um, that's a, a kind of a loaded question. You know, I think that's sort of like hard to determine whether charisma and confidence come from one's environment or if that's genetic. You know, who's, who's really to say? Um, I do think something you said struck a chord with me, though, and that's that if insecurity... You know, the, the world was rid of insecurity. If that were the case, 100% people would be able to make better art. They would be able to be themselves better. They would be able to, uh, you know, come to work and, and perform at 100%. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, you know, because not everybody shows up, and I've learned this through working with, like, literally thousands of artists who have so many personality types, that if everybody could feel confident in what they do, they would be able to present that much more to the world. And through producing Bushwick Open Studios and through what I did with uh, Gallery Glass, Mm -hmm. through Google Glass, and what I'm doing with Created Here, all sort of has that same kind of underlying mission of everybody has a story, and these people are so, so exciting, but like a lot of them are introverts. A lot of them don't know anything about um, self-promotion or marketing. And... Not that that's a bad thing. Obviously, it's really about the art, but that's why I find a sense of passion in helping those people tell their stories. You know, um, people ask me a lot, like, oh, are you an artist? Well, no, I'm not an artist. I'm a curator. What I do, my art and, like, what I provide to the world and what I put out there is the ability to use those skill sets, you know, be able to, um, you know, articulate or share a story or build a website or put out a marketing campaign that helps foster the careers of these artists who maybe, you know, otherwise would really just like not have the confidence or the energy or, um, that, that drive to like really put their stuff out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in an ideal world, certainly everybody could like wake up every day and say like, Hey world, I'm here, you know, look at me, look at what I produce, but that's not the case. And, And again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I, I do think that, that gives me a lot of uh, opportunities, though, to uh, help those people do that. When did you realize that there's strength in numbers? I think through working with Arts in Bushwick, which mm-hmm. I started doing in, uh, I guess, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, but slightly prior to that, um, I, I used to produce a street graffiti art fair at Art Basel, uh, in Miami from 2007 to 2011. And that was, the fair was called Graffiti Gone Global. And it was a passion project of uh, my old boss uh, at a company that I worked at. And he loved street graffiti art. He really, really wanted to uh, be able to you know, put on a big festival. And this was before Art Basel got, you know, blew up. Um, 
But that being said, it was like still on the up and up. So there were a lot of people there. So he said, he knew I liked art. He knew I was really into street art. So he said, Samantha, here's a budget. Very, very small. Go make it bigger. Go build press. Go put on a fair. Go figure out zoning codes. Go fly artists in from all over the world. And I literally put on this production in a three-month time span, year after year, alone. Mind you, at the same time that Scope, Pulse, Art Basel, Design Miami, all of these major fairs had teams of 60 people. So I was there in Miami by myself, day and night, you know, producing something monumental to, to this one person and to myself, obviously, and ideally all of the artists that participated. But realizing the value of a team at that point was like something that will always stick with me. Uh, it was certainly helped build my own personal sense of like, work ethic and dedication. But after doing that, I then, you know, started working with Arts and Bushwick and there was a phenomenal team. And it's kind of a revolving door because um, a lot of people don't know Arts and Bushwick is volunteer based. It's a right. non-for-profit. Nobody gets paid. It's all a, a labor of love. But, you know, I've worked with literally dozens of people that have all lived in Brooklyn um, in this organization. And everybody comes to the table with a different skill set, with a different peace of mind, with a different agenda. And really, that's when I started realizing, okay, there are powers in numbers. Like, if everybody can kind of come together and learn to listen to one another and learn to um, really open their mind to different viewpoints, it's a lot easier to accomplish more. It certainly takes a, a great deal of uh, patience, which anybody that knows me, I am a... Uh, very tough New York Jew. Patience is not something I was born with, nor was it, uh, you know, peppered throughout my environment. Um, but through these experiences, I've learned to uh, exercise a, a great deal of patience. Now, I think we live in a world where, unfortunately, money is the single largest driving factor. Sure. And it's usually at the antithesis of patience in that regard. Like, well, maybe it's my experience because I work for corporate companies and if things aren't making money, they need to go immediately. How are you finding the balance then to find that patience? And how are you, when you make these connections, you understand that, like, okay, you and I are sitting here talking right now. On one level, this is the only moment that you and I are currently living, so thank you. <laughs> On another level, we might do business someday. Who knows? Do you know right, what I mean? Right. But this isn't... Really what that's about right now, this right. is just a conversation that you and I are having. We're not exchanging money. How can we smarten people up and make them realize, like, no, it's about the relationships. It's about the product. It's about this and that. 100%. The money is the thing that comes down later. So that's something I, I definitely take to heart. My mother has a saying, cats, women, work hard all their lives, make no money. Um, and I guess I've never really... That's a great saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, not for me. <laughs> I, I, you know, I keep a full-time job and have. I was hired before we even graduated Pratt in 2008. I was hired in, in December of that year. So I've been working nonstop mm -hmm. from that time, which is uh, almost t you know 10 years ago. I have to do that. I have to maintain a full-time job to be able to support my passion projects. I love my job and you know, I think that uh, I, I've worked hard to, you know, climb the corporate ladder in a sense to um, be a great creative director and team leader and, you know, a graphic designer and a contributor to the companies that I've worked for. But without that, I would not be able to sustain any of these projects that I do because none of them have ever paid me any money. Right. You know, Google Glass was obviously a labor of love. Uh, Arts and Bushwick has been a, a labor of love and created here will be a labor of love until I put out a business plan and seek investment. And for me personally, I think 
you know, and, and I'm realizing this as I say it, it's potentially because we have the benefit of youth on our side. You know, we do things because we are passionate and because we love doing them. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure in, you know, five years down the road when I want to buy a house or have a family, I can't imagine I'll want to be able to contribute the same amount of man hours without being able to monetize that simply because that's the reality of, of right. the world is yeah. you, know, you need to be able to pay for a roof over your head. But like I said, I've had foresight to keep a job this entire time and, and a successful career in order to sustain myself and these projects and therefore be able to help foster the careers of all these other artists. I think that advice I would give though is for anybody looking to like follow their passion or their dream or like launch their own company or a side project or whatever, keep money in the back of your mind only because like you said, there are going to be opportunities where you make connections, you um, establish personal relationships, but there can be monetary benefits to that. And that's not something you should lose sight of. You right. know, just because you're an artist doesn't mean you have to be a poor artist. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, clearly I have not mastered, you know, the, no, the art of, I wonder... of flipping a profit yet. But I do think that in everything, you know, and I do, it's unfortunate that I think a lot of people have learned to associate creativity and the arts and, and design um, with, you know, free labor and oh, like, yes, you know, the, the inability for our professions to make a substantial living, that doesn't need to be the case. There can be an, an element of forethought into what we contribute and what we put out into the world. So, right. you know, like, don't hesitate to like do your research or ask your friends who have accounting jobs or, you know, other people who have been successful uh, in, in their creative pursuits. Being that this topic is serendipity, to you, serendipity is having the balls to put yourself out there. Yeah. Like, you're not going to win. I was going to ask you if you played the lotto last night because I we're did, dating. I did. I did. But, okay, so $1.5 billion. I happened to go to bed last night and I was thinking to myself, I hadn't checked to see if I won. Of course not. <laughs> but I said to myself, like, come on, man. You win the lotto every day. You're alive. You have all these opportunities. Yeah, you know what I mean? absolutely. Absolutely. Like, to bring it back to serendipity, if you are afraid to leave your apartment, no, no breaks are going to come your way. You know, you have to right. put yourself out there. 100%. And that's the thing. Serendipity, to me, is uh, at least in like the, the hopeful success I've created here, serendipity is the fact that I've put myself out there time and time and time and time sure. again every day, yeah. all day, whether that's through social media, through an email, through the events that I produce, through giving artists chances, through giving myself a chance whatever it's serendipity is just sort of like a you know an accumulation of all of these experiences and opportunities i've put out into the world it's sort of kismet it's sort of karma but really it's not just good luck it's a matter of like being there and like really like putting something forward what i think you say? yeah and as you're talking it's becoming clear to me that really the opposite of insecurity is serendipity. It's not even confidence, although they're basically interrelated. Mm -hmm. To me, it's like, well, if you're insecure, I find that the more secure I am, the further I can see around me. I have a good friend who says, be like water, Bruce Lee, be like water. And it's very <laughs> like true. That. If you can be like water, then I, if I'm not worried about like, oh, what do you think of me right now? If I'm just looking at you, I'm going to start noticing things that I couldn't if I was all closed off and I wonder if that's what makes people like you 
and myself too polarizing because we are creatives, we're artists. We do choose to look at the big picture in saying that, like, well, you just said you're a curator. I'm a curator too I in that regard. 100%. While we're artists, I think we realize the artist in the room by himself or herself, that's not good enough at the end of the day because free labor exists and all these things. Well, somebody has to be an artist but also have the personal skills to change the perception of the way people think about the creative way. Exactly. It's, you know, don't get me wrong. There are people who are lucky and people who could sit at home. And I'm sure the guy who won the lotto last night maybe was just hanging out at home and isn't doing and contributing anything to the world and yada, yada, yada. But it's serendipity is not luck. Serendipity is, you know, a series of, of actions and, and what you ultimately like contribute. And mm -hmm whether that's tangible in making a, a, a piece of art and then getting that art sold, you know, you can right. consider that serendipitous or you can consider that the hard work of people who are believe in you and are passionate about what you do yeah. and ideally like put all the ducks in a row to, to make that happen. I read a book a few years ago called Tribal Leadership. Okay. And in this book, it examines five stages of a tribe and they basically, this was a business related book, but it's also a human level book. And they basically said, the authors, that we still form tribes today. We might not call them that, but that's what they are. They're sure. the same kind of thing. And they say it has to be below, let's say, 250 people or 50 people. It's, an, it's a small number because after that, then it's, oh, that's it's like right. if you I think about this. working in a yeah. corporate environment, how quickly things can get disorganized because there's just too many moving parts. Anyway, the mid-level of that, level three, is I'm better than this. Because level one is like a prison environment where it's like life is horrible. Sure. Level two is my life is horrible. Like if you're working at a dead-end job and you feel trapped. You can only go up and down one level at a time. You can't skip. Where level three and you have to get to that is where you go, well, you know what? Fuck that. I'm better than all this. But which you've realized in your life is that level four is, no, no, we're better than this. Because the we is always going to be stronger than the 100 I. 100%. Um, and I also must add to that. No matter what you do, whether that's solo or, you know, with the group mindset, I think staying grateful and staying humble mm -hmm. oh, yeah. 100% of the time is is part of that recipe. That's also something I've, I've learned through time. It's like the best things happen. And I'm not saying do this because you'll reap some sort of like kismic benefit. But the best things do happen when you least expect them. And when you genuinely feel grateful for what you have and right. for what you're doing. So, yeah. you know, I think, you know, you asked me about power in numbers earlier, and that does speak to the, that same, you know, level four mentality of just really appreciating your community, appreciating mm -hmm. the people that are around you. I do think that in New York, there's a sense of like, doggy dog, I need to be the best, or I need to work the hardest, or I need to have my name in lights, and you can't, that's not what is ultimately going to help one, like, There's excel. no substance there. Right, there's no substance, and ultimately, you're, you're there's <laughs> the benefits of, like, sort of just, like, seeing what's around you and helping the people around you is you then become a part of a community. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like, like again, through Arts in Bushwick and Bushwick Open Studios, I was able to have that opportunity in a, in a kind of smaller sense. You know, we worked with a very hard, dedicated team helping. For, for people listening who don't know, Bushwick Open Studios is the largest program um, produced by Arts in Bushwick, which is a non-for-profit 
uh, organization that's completely volunteer run in Bushwick, Brooklyn, a you know, budding arts neighborhood. It's produced by like, you know, about 12 people uh, roughly, but we help thousands of artists. All of these people for one weekend out of the year show their work. You know, they open their, their studio doors and literally 10,000 people came through last year. Celebrities came through last year. Um, and it's an opportunity to talk about your work, share your work, sell your work, whatever you want to right. do. Absolutely. Um, but it's, it's funny because even though I'm a part of this bigger community, a lot of those people don't even know who I am. You know, uh, I, I put a, I took a picture of my face last year and like put it up on my Facebook feed during Bushwick Open Studios. And I said something like, you know, you all know me by email or like by name, just so you know, this is me. This is what I look like. I'll be walking around all weekend if you need anything or if you just want to say hi, like right. here's who I am. Um, but I, I think it's kind of cool to, uh, you know, whether those people actually did come up and say hi or even recognize uh, any amount of effort that me or my team put into that event, you're still, we were still a part of that, that larger community. And that's super cool. And that's the same sort of um, idea of what I'm looking to achieve with Created Here. You know, mm -hmm. I will be featuring one interview per week, starting with Brooklyn and then moving beyond into other creative communities. After Brooklyn, I'll launch Newport, Rhode Island. Um, and then after that, Oakland, California, where there's another really amazing creative community. And then ideally, should I get funding? But the idea is for a lot of people who, whether they're too shy to share their work, or even if they're, you know, already super, you know, kind of like Insta-famous or well-known, whatever, I don't want to discriminate between any artist, maker, designer, entrepreneur, anybody who's making something happen or creating a, a sense of community uh, in their own neighborhood. I wanna give everybody the opportunity to tell their story, share their work, and from that, sort of set them on their own. All right, now you've got a community. Now you're yeah. part of this community. Like, help each other, learn from each other, empower mm -hmm. one another, buy from everybody, you know, shop local, and ideally, like, through these projects, um, whether any of these people actually, you know, know who I am, it, it gives me the opportunity to take ego out of it and really just kind of put that power back in the hands of these creatives. How do you balance the ego there? Because there are days that I'm running the wall breakers and I think to myself, am I just doing this for me? Sure. And I think there is elements that, yeah, I, well, if, if I wasn't doing it at all for me, then right. I w why would I be doing it? You know, there's elements, there's an agenda there for me. Yeah. And there's obviously you want to do some of this for you too. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. How yeah, do you totally. That? I, I think during, uh, you know, when, when Bushwick Open Studios started getting bigger, there was definitely like a wave of, wow, I'm getting recognition or like, this is awesome. And I think my perspective was probably warped in that sense, just like anybody else. You know, you get any uh, amount of, of uh, praise for the work that you're doing and you're certainly going to feel very proud of yourself. I, I think I had a quote in on the cover of Wall Street Journal and I remember calling, you know, my judge mom and scientist dad and doctor brother and I was like, check it out. And they were just like, oh, you know, that's cool. I was like, have any of you ever been in Wall Street Journal? I don't think so. <laughs> so I felt really good about that. And that's yeah, certainly, of course. But, but it's those moments too that like, I don't really think pride or recognition is a bad thing. I think everybody should sure, have that opportunity because it really like helps yeah. motivate you. Yeah. I think that like there's no big, you know, reward for like being, you know, sulking in, in, in the darkness and like, no, there you isn't. know, like being a martyr for, for the good stuff you put out there. I think everybody should be, you know, recognized for the work that they do. Um, with Creative Here though, there's much less of that. You know, I don't expect to be getting like major headlines or press or anything like that. I, I think for me there, the ego, if, if, if you want to call it that, really just comes from um, my ability to 
produce this. You know, it's something I've been thinking about for a really long time. It's something I feel really good about. And like I said, when people talk, ask me if I'm an artist and I say, no, you know, I'm a curator, I'm a producer, I'm a, a creative director. It's giving me the opportunity to do that in a, a much more holistic sense. And mm -hmm. I'm really stoked on that. I'm just super excited about it. And like, to me, that is my art. So it's sort of like somebody giving me a paintbrush. Or yeah, a, or it's in some ways, the art of socialization, of life. Of, you mentioned earlier, you said you didn't know if there was something like some sort of kismet payment that you'd receive. And when you said that, I thought to myself, yes, happiness yeah. is the payment for yeah. it. Because what does everybody want? They think, you know, more money is going to bring me happiness, more stuff, more this, more that. And it's like that feeling of when you're happy about something, when you receive it, there's massive amounts of gratitude that come with that. You just say, oh, thank you to the world. Like, thank exactly. you so much. You've, you've given me semblances purpose. of purpose. Yes, exactly. exactly. It's funny, my parents asked me a few years ago, they're like, what do you think your purpose is? And I was like, you know, I really don't know how to answer that. I don't, and I don't even know if I read, uh, I should send this artic article to you. Our generation, you know, is often questioned with what is your purpose? You know, what is your passion? And like, whether or not that's even a real thing and like, is totally necessary. Like one could just say, oh, taking care of my family or like being alive, like making it, you know, making my life happen. That's, that's good enough. Like taking care of my dog, sure, whatever, that could be your purpose. This discovering this passion um, has really given me a sense of purpose um, and you know I was saying earlier like growing up I never didn't have a, a, a fully thought out idea of like what I wanted to be or you know what you know my skill set would lend itself to but this project and the you know aforementioned projects have really given me the opportunity to like wake up in the morning whether that's like whether I'm writing an article or just like doing a studio visit or doing an interview, whatever, all of it feels so great. You know, it feels so good. Um, and I think it, it makes the people that I'm working with feel really good too. And well, so, it's also that you're choosing to be there. Nobody's yeah. forcing you. So it's a right, choice. Right, exactly. I've been watching uh, the Netflix series Marco Polo. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I like it a lot. Some uh -huh. people don't like it. I've also in the last few years, I grew up in a Catholic house. I went to a Jesuit high school and... Um, the Jesuits are very different from what people think of in terms of the perception of Catholicism. There's a lot of yin and yang balance teaching there as far as like Taoist teachings and things like that. Yeah. And this show, Marco Polo, has a lot of that. And I, I watched it, I'm now on the second time through, which is cool in you a way like because it a lot. <laughs> I do, but it's also good, the po point being that because I know the plot lines, I'm now listening to other things. And there's a one particular scene in the series where Jingham, the prince, is mad because... Or he's salty, basically. He's not really mad because Marco Polo has a close relationship with his father. But it's not like the uh, Khan doesn't have a close relationship with his son. It's just that there's another guy there too. Right. And his mother, the emperor, says to him, "Are you fine?" And she says, "And he says, I'm fine, mother." And he says, "And she says, then be fine. Like, right. if you're gonna be somewhere, then be there. Be present. Be there. Why don't be there if you don't want to be you there?" You know, there's a Yiddish word for this. It's called spilkes. Of course. So, so my yes. dad always says, "My mother and I have spilkes." He's like, "Can yeah. you just just." Be, just be, yeah, just be. be I've got to tell you, that's like, anybody who's ever met me, they're just like, oh, God, you're like zero to a hundred. My mom says I'm like a tornado. But, but, but even whether or not you're like kind of go, 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 or have a lot of things going on, it, it you know, or, or talk really fast or whatever, you know, being in that moment and like having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you are present, you know, you are there. Right. Um, and, and like we were just saying, like putting something out into the world that you're passionate about and other people can really like pick up on that too. Yeah. You know, when you're writing something like half-heartedly or doing a half-hearted interview or kind of like just doing something to like say that you did it, you know, people can pick up on that right. so easily. There's, um, 
there's words that people use when they're genuine about things. Yeah. I even find that if I'm on the train and a panhandler comes on, yeah. sometimes just by the words and the way that they are, you can know whether or not they're genuine or not. Because yeah, there's, there's buzzwords and like buzz, you can read people's eyes and things yeah. like that. I'm curious That's too. That's probably why I'm, I'm broke. I give well, my money to the panhandlers. <laughs> I do. I'm a sucker. Well, that makes you a good Jewish person. Yes. So. Yes, my mitzvahs. <laughs> yeah. Do you, you're very conscious. You're a very conscious individual. And, and thank you for being that way. The more conscious people in the world, the better off we're going to be in the end. I was, in the outline I sent you, I was very curious about how you perceive social media because I have a, I use it for the wall breakers because how else are you going to get the word out there in these days? But from a personal standpoint, I try to use it as little as possible because I find that it, for me personally, breeds insecurity because it's like everybody's center stage versus your, you know, back scene, the back, backstage is in your head, you know? Right. Absolutely. How do you, how are you using it? What's your opinion on it? You know, what do you think of the different versions of social media? Do you see an expiration date to them? So the first thing that comes to mind is I love Instagram. I think as a creative, and I'm sure you gather this too, it's the only tool that's 100%, you know, visually driven. And I think that's great. I think sure. it's awesome. You can't even link anything. It's, yeah, I know. That's it. Believe me, you Which know, when I get to California, I'm going to have some words with Facebook. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a very cool platform though. And I think that the ones that have mastered it are like wizards. Uh, if mm -hmm. I knew the, the, the trick behind it or, you know, what gets somebody from a thousand followers to a hundred thousand followers, believe me, you know, I, I think my Instagram would be a completely different game. Um, I will also say that it's a personal weakness of mine that it's almost like a drug. You know, I think social, you know, media? social media is like a poison. It is. It and is. if I could tap out, I would. But but unfortunately, the reality of the situation, not unfortunately, but the is reality it? of the situation is that um, in order to promote the articles that I put out there or the photos of the studio visits that I do or to help, um, you know, really expose the work of the artists that I work with, I need social media. Otherwise, it will not reach anybody. Uh, you know, things are not like they used to be where it just comes out in like the New York Times Sunday paper. Everybody's online all the time. Right. Uh, and so it, it is a reality that it is a very powerful tool, whether that's Instagram, Twitter, which I personally hate and think it is dying. It is, it is dying. Twitter is totally out, dying. 100%. Um, so yeah, I think people are very visually driven and that's why they use uh, Instagram. And then Facebook at this point is kind of like uh, you know, shameless plug central slash news outlet. Yeah, you know? basically. So I go on, I check my, uh, I check my feed simply to like get news or use it as a, a calendar reminder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. events all the time. Yeah. And somebody who's as social as I am, I, I kind of need that or I will completely forget. Um, but if anybody can come up with the cure for social media and find another way for, you know, people to uh, communicate beyond simple, you know, one-on-one uh, -on -one interactions. Like if somebody could find uh, a, another solution for, let's say somebody like me who wants to, um, you know, uh, again, expose uh, art enthusiasts or potential buyers to like the work of the people that I'm, I'm trying to support, that would be so welcomed because it really is. It's changing everything something, and not for the better. Something you just said really resonates with me because I, I'm very conscious of what I would call triadic conversations. I tend to feel at my best when I'm like, hey, Sam, meet my friend. Sure. Like, if I'm putting you two together, that means I love both of you right. and I think you'll love each other. Yeah. 
And I wonder, you said one-on-one -on -one interaction, and I wonder if the solution is to somehow, well, I think really maybe a solution is to spread more love in this world and less insecurity, and then 100%. it would all correct itself because it's still people-driven, even if it's a hamster wheel. 100% on the same way. Um, I, I always like to joke that, you know, on any given night, I'm probably at home behind my computer, um, but at any opportunity I can, I'm a, I'm a connector. So I always say, you know, super connector slash total loner. Um, That's but, me too. Yeah, That's 100%. Funny. But in those moments, I love to connect people. A lot of the times, people do not share that same sort of sense of persuasion or of, uh, you know, love of social outing as you or I may, and kind of stick to their own tribes, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an unfortunate Is it just case. insecurity? That's yeah, definitely. Insecurity or comfort, I would say. People get very comfortable in their own cliques or their own social scenes, and that's totally cool. I'm the exact opposite of that. I do not have a clique. I'm friends with everybody I meet if they like me, and I like them. And too many times a day, I'm writing emails or sending group texts saying, hey, you should know this person, or hey, why don't we all get a drink together? I think you guys would like each other. Or, hey, have you met so-and-so? You guys should definitely work together. And I think a lot of people have learned that they can come to me for stuff like that, which is both great but also incredibly time-consuming. Um, if only – that's funny. We were talking about the Powerball. If I won the, the Powerball money, I would definitely just spend all of my time doing these sort of like – mitzvahs really just yeah, like really. cool great now i have money i don't have to worry about it how can i help everybody else like connect them or show their work or do all these wonderful things uh if only but yeah i think there's a lot to be said for uh like taking the time or taking the network that you have and connecting the dots this personality of ours that you and i share similarly mm -hmm. that can be polarizing i had a conversation with my mother last night about something that I won't get into, but she said you have two choices, conform or change your situation. Yeah. And I said, well, you know which one I'll choose because conformity is not in my language. Oh, totally. Which can, she says, you know, that's a detriment to you, but I don't see that. It's I funny think, my parents say the same thing. Well, because to yeah. me, the only reason why that's a detriment is the insecurity around me when that's happening. Right. And at this point at 30, I've conformed at times and I'm like well I wound up at the same spot so why don't I just be me if somebody doesn't like me for me I don't want to be upset at them I want to show them like no like let's just get out of the third grade mentality like you're great too just be you and it's awesome and let's go grab a drink and 100%. like how can we these people that are in their shells is there some sort of I don't know formula to help them I love that you've asked that question I've got to tell you and this is something I've learned throughout time too everybody's awesome Everybody's awesome yeah. in their own way. And I think that there's, yeah, there's so much insecurity. And unfortunately, a lot of that is because people, you know, feel like a strong sense of self and don't want to embrace other personality types or other, you know, other races, creeds, genders, whatever. Um, and, and without a, a broader spectrum, you know, or a broader picture in mind, just in a very isolated sense, everybody I've met is cool in their own way. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's really uh, been exciting for me to kind of discover through, like, meeting a lot of really interesting people, you know, through Arts and Bushwick, through uh, Art Basel, through prior to that Republic Worldwide in school, and socially, you know, obviously professionally. Have you been searching, by the way? Sorry to cut you off, but no, please. the collegiate atmosphere that we had mm -hmm. where 
you throw your work up on a wall and we all talk about it. And when somebody just shit on it for no reason, they got shit on, like, visually or something. If I was like, oh, sure. well, you're not helping it here. Right. Have you been searching for that? That is that part of what's led you to that? That understanding that if I don't stay involved with communities, everything is just going to segment around me. No, you know, I, I guess I haven't really been conscious of that, but now that you bring it up, definitely. I, I think that without feedback, without, like, being able to bounce ideas off one another, like, we're all going to shrivel up and, and disintegrate and die. Yeah. You know, I think that is an exciting thing about, ideally, um, what I, my understanding of the, uh, like, Oakland, SF, Silicon Valley, maybe not Silicon Valley, but definitely SF and Oakland um, social scene is everybody's really, really open there. Everybody's really friendly. Everybody likes to super connect. Um, everybody is definitely interested in one another's ideas, whether that whether or not that materializes into anything else. That's certainly the kind of mindset. So I look forward to, like, being embraced to that kind of um, environment. Here in New York, that's much less so the case. Obviously, you kind of have to... Not not you, not me, but one has to um, have like a certain personality type, has to be a little like edgy or cool or whatever. And I don't know if that's because people feel like they need to fit in. Um, that's definitely not the case with me. I'm goofy as shit and like don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about me. Uh, I just happen to be super cool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what you just said, that's the first step to losing the insecurity. Totally. Just stopping caring what people think about I you. I think that comes with age. You it does, You have to admit, yeah. though, like, if somebody said that to us when we were 18 or even 22 or even 25, I don't think we would have been like, fuck you, I am myself. But really, no, 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 no. I think that through through age and kind of like, you know, meeting other people and realizing everybody else is kind of the same. Yeah. You know, it's easier to let your defenses down and easier to um, not enter situations with, like, preconceived notions about anybody. You know, everybody's got a story. Everybody's interesting in their own way. And taking a moment to recognize that certainly will help one broaden their own horizons. Absolutely. And, like, make life just happier and richer in general. Like, you can pick out the bad in anybody. And believe me, I'm sure we all, yeah. like, yeah. do at times. But at least identifying like one, I, I uh, you know, devised this quote this summer that really um, was, was eye-opening for myself. And it was like, pick the best quality in anybody you meet, learn from it, teach it to yourself, discover it, own it, and now yeah, it's yours. Now right. that's Don't hate quality. on them because you're envious. No. Use it to you. Find the one quality in them that you admire, really study it, and make it your own. I had a sixth grade social studies teacher, Mr. Quinn, who I think has passed away now, but he used to say during tests, use the test to take the test. That's As cool. in there's question, there's answers to other questions filtered around the test. Life is like that too. Yeah. I shouldn't hate on you because you're doing good things. I should look at it and go, okay, well, this makes sense. Sam's blowing up because of these reasons and that these are totally copyable and just an app applying to me. 100%. It's funny. I actually... Uh, you know, I won't name names, but but I was in an, an organization and, uh, you know, I got some, some press write-up and I remember getting, like, a really angry email from one of the other contributors and they are like, well, why are you getting, why is the press on you? And I was like, listen, I, A, I don't, don't know, but what I did was I ended up making it my business to the following, for the following programming, set of programming, I reached out to all of the press that we were getting and said, hey, why don't you feature this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, and ensured that for that entire year, 
none of the press was about me um, and was able to like highlight what everybody else was doing and contributing to that organization. So, you know, you can, you can, you know, be a dick about it or be salty or like, you know, combat, but really like if you are, are getting, you know, good things or recognition or like have identified qualities in yourself that are working out also just like have the ability to like share those with other people. You know, I, I do think that like this has to be said for everything. Like, you're going to meet people on the way up and meet them again on the way back Absolutely. down. And so, so treat like, them good. Treat them good. Help yeah. other people out, man. Yeah, like, exactly. Especially well, in the creative world, like, it's very easy to, like, combat with one another or, like, you know, feel like you kind of need to, to step on other people to get up. And I've even talked to friends recently who are like, oh, that's just the case. No, that doesn't. No, that's a choice. Yeah, that's a made. choice. Like, yeah. you, you, like, even if that seems to be the majority, don't. So what? Yeah. That's the old. If you, how you conduct if your friends stuff. jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? <laughs> right, like, exactly. yeah, like just because everybody's being a dick doesn't mean that you should be one too. One hundred percent. So I like to, uh, you know, keep a, a different perspective. Where is created here today, and where do you want it to be tomorrow? Well, we just launched. Um, so we we launched last week. Um, so it's very much in its infancy. I chose to launch with the first community being Brooklyn, obviously, as that's where. I feel the strongest creative community personally. So from here, I'm going to release the next uh, location, which will be Newport, Rhode Island. Um, I had the uh, wonderful benefit of spending the majority of the summer there, found an amazing creative community, artists, designers, entrepreneurs, uh, curators. So I'm going to feature them next um, and then obviously keep this going. So I'll keep featuring Brooklyn. I'll keep featuring Newport. And then as I'm on the West Coast, I'll release uh, Oakland. And then ideally, it will either get picked up or I will get some sort of investment or funding to um, expand the series. I'd really like to hit like the majority of the creative communities, at least in the U.S., to start. And my business plan is to uh, launch a e-commerce platform on the site. Obviously, there are many benefits to that, um, primarily like helping supporting local shopping, but mm -hmm. also um, encouraging people to buy from their local artisans. So, you know, once again, people who may not have otherwise realized these artists were selling their work or this musician's album was out or this potter was looking to sell their kitchenware. This right. is going to be really, really great for people to interact with one another and, and buy from, from each other. Fantastic. Yeah. Now you're 30. Girl. <laughs> is 30 the new 20? Actually, let me ask you that. Honestly, is 30 the new 20? I have the, the great luck of not caring at all about age. 100%. You know, I don't think 30 is the new 20. I wouldn't wish to be 20 again. I think I'm here and now, and I think I'll feel the same way when I'm 40, 50, 60. We've talked about my parents, but bringing them up, up again, they're easily the coolest people I know. You know, every time I talk to them, they're in a different country or a different state. I invited them to my birthday party last year and they were like, oh, we, you know, is it like 1 a.m.? They're like, oh, we're going to a dinner party. You know, like I think age 100% is just a number. Absolutely. Uh, and it's really about having that kind of like passion to grab life by the balls no matter where you are and what you're doing. So no, 30 30. And yeah, it's funny, you know, when people are like, oh, are you scared to turn 30? No, I was like, I felt like I was 30 since I was like 22, you know, whatever, whatever that means. Well, is that because you are following your passions? You're living in the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Now yeah. we've talked a lot about far reaching things as far as, you know, the things that you've done and how you're doing a lot of things at the same time. But we've also talked about being present. You mentioned the word five year plan. How far down the road are you looking? Is this, I don't 
look at life as far as, oh, this is my job, and this is, my biggest sources of frustration have been times where my job has been a job, you know, and I'm like, right. no, no, I just want to live my life. Yeah. How far down the road are you looking, how are you balancing things out? I do tend to, um, look at my life in like five-year stints. I think that's, you know, something a professor taught me long ago and, and has, uh, you know, he, he described Professor Wadwa at uh, Columbia University. He is really just like a phenomenal professor and his, his course was called um, Personal and Professional Success. And he described life as the treadmill of happiness. He's like, you don't want to be on the treadmill of happiness. It's not about like, oh, I got that house and now I'm happy. But wait, am I happy? Maybe I also want the kids. Okay, okay, so now I have the house and the kids. Shit, now I want the Ferrari. Okay, so I've got to just like keep working until I get the Ferrari or I'm not going to be happy. So like there's a difference between milestones and plans. In five years, I would like to have created here, I mean, this is idyllic. I would like to have it picked up. I would like to ensure that I'm able to have many cities throughout the U.S. involved. I would like to be financially back to the point where I can really focus on that because as we've, we've discussed before, you know, I think that the, the mission of this site and of this program is to, you know, help so many people that I, I think that's really, really where I want to put my attention and, and, you know, my time and my efforts because it will affect so many people um, beneficially. So that is at least as far as this project goes, the five-year plan, mm -hmm. you know, get it off the ground, get it funded and, and really expand it. Um, personally, I do not have a five-year plan. I'm kind of ahead of the curve in terms of what I think others might consider life goals or milestones, like own an apartment, have a, uh, you know, supportive partner, have great friends, all these things. I put myself out there and I've been able to get those things. And that's not to say those things or my health or family won't go at any given moment. But like we also talked about, like, stay grateful, stay humble. Yeah. Like I never, ever, ever, not a moment, not a day goes by where I don't express gratitude to myself, to the world, to a higher power or whatever for the things that I do have. So as long as I can ideally maintain those things over the next five years, yeah. I will feel very, very, I will continue to feel very grateful. I will say though that I'm excited to share the Five years ago, my five-year plan was to be bi-coastal, like, and that's something, you know, that was very, very hard to achieve, um, mm -hmm. and I'm really stoked to uh, be able to say, okay, you I'm 30, it. and I did it. Right. I also wanted to play drums on stage before I hit 30, and my very cool friends who I'm going to feature on the sites, the band Silverteeth, let me play with them. Awesome. Uh, yeah, a few weeks back. I was like, yes, that's awesome. did it. My parents came. They stayed until 1.30 in the morning. They were just like, all right, we're done. It's bad time. It's like, well, please really putting up, putting up with it. But so. it goes to show you that you set these intentions, and then you went about going to get them. Exactly. And that's how simple it is. To me, there's no such thing as failure. Failure is giving up. And what? Why do that? That's it. funny you say you, that. I, like I completely you, agree. You just said about your health could fail and things like that. And when you said that, what I was thinking to myself was, yeah, but if you keep understanding life on a macro level. You'll be okay because you understand that it's all part of a learning experience, a big picture. You're laddering to something that we'll find out about two minutes after our body I like dies. Your attitude. It's, it's about looking at things in perspective. It is because there's one for everything. You don't want to be on the treadmill of happiness. No, 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 no. <laughs> Stagnancy and, uh, you know, c c what you, you used, uh, comfort zones yeah. and stagnancy are like one and the same to me, basically. Yeah. What do you want to plug? 
specific uh, like I know create definitely uh, like, give me URLs and give me check out and stuff definitely check out the Instagram uh, at created here uh, spelled just like it's pronounced and check out the website created here.co uh, and obviously if you would like to be in touch with me directly if you would like to uh, be interviewed or show your work or or even just have a conversation um, just uh, email Samantha at created here.co um, and, and clearly if it if it's not something of your own that you would like to uh, share with the world, but have somebody else in mind that you think really benefits your creative community, just uh, give me a holler. Thank you, Sam. And also, thank you for being so open. I think that a lot of what you said can be translated to anybody's life. You're talking about following passions and putting yourself out there, and anybody can learn from that. Thank Great. you Great. Thanks, much. James. Absolutely. Samantha, thank you so much for a great interview. It was fantastic getting to sit down and chat with you. I don't think we had seen each other in person in seven or so years. I caught you right before you moved to San Francisco in the time that I recorded this interview. Sam was living in New York. She now lives in San Francisco. Welcome to the West Coast. I am sure that you are enjoying the temperate weather and the new connections that you're making out there. Like Samantha mentioned during the interview, you can get in touch with her by going to createdhere.co. Instagram.com slash created here or emailing her directly at Samantha at createdhere.co. Please don't hesitate. She's a very open person. And if this is your first time tuning to Breaking Walls and you've made it this far, I want to say thanks a lot for doing so. This is episode number 36. And each new episode and new interview that I do makes me proud because I'm putting myself out there and doing so. And doing that allows for new connections and allows for serendipity in my life. If you have a suggestion for a guest that you'd like to hear on Breaking Walls, please don't hesitate to contact me at james at wallbreakers.com. I try to release these interviews twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. I would honestly love to make this a weekly thing so that you as the listener could count on podcasts being released on a certain day every week, and therefore, in return, I would create ambassadors more easily that way. Right now, it is what it is, as we say in Brooklyn. And uh, between working a full-time job, I try to produce these podcasts twice a month reliably on the 1st and the 15th. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Hopefully going forward, that will always happen. And if you'd like to subscribe and you have not, go to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers or iTunes, search for The Wallbreakers. Also check out the entire Wallbreakers community. I tend to keep these recordings focused on the podcast itself. But thewallbreakers.com your source for anything that you might be looking for by way of creativity, by way of audio podcasts, and by way of breaking walls. So guys, like I always say at the end of these podcasts, keep getting out there, keep breaking those walls. If you're on the East Coast, New York, Boston, Philly, etc., spring is absolutely in the air. The last weekend in February, the weather was fantastic. A great weekend to go outside and be alive. So please, guys, keep getting out there. Keep breaking those walls. Remember, the more vulnerability we can allow into our own lives, the more serendipity we can occur because of it. Nobody can hurt you but you. Please don't take things that have happened to you in your past and apply them to people in the future. Sure, be open, be conscious of things, but don't be closed off and fearful of being hurt. We can't be hurt if we don't want to be. Get out there, guys. Break those walls. Thank you so much. My name is James Scully. Until next time, this has been Breaking Walls, episode number 36. I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you, and have a wonderful week.